Hey, good morning. Merry Christmas. So, I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to quote it as you turn to Isaiah 9. Over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. Okay. Now, when did it change, Rhonda, when did it change that now grandmother's got to go over the river and through the woods to get to the kids? What? So we will sometime Thursday morning, maybe Wednesday night, we will load up the four-wheel drive sleigh and we'll head to uh, southwest Michigan. So if, if you're awake in the middle of the night or if you get up early in the morning, uh, just, uh, uh, you know, utter a Hail, Hail Mary prayer that we'll be okay. And we're going to be with, there will be nine of us in one house for four or five days. So uh, about 1,300 square feet. Nine people, um, four of whom are fairly loud, and that's just the adults. So, yeah. Anyway, um, so I will miss getting to see you the next couple of weeks, but we'll be back together. What would that be? January 9th. Next time we'll be in this room. God bless you. Now, let's talk about Isaiah. Um, the Bible tells us in the first several verses, first few verses, God created light. Let there be light. Remember that? I put the reference there from Genesis 1. Uh, then um, in John 1, which sometimes is called the second Genesis, in John 1, he identifies Jesus as the true light of the world that's coming into in, uh, a darkened world. That's not a new theme with John. Um, uh, Isaiah is going to talk about that from a long time before um, uh, Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem. So let, let me give you a little bit of background. Isaiah lived and prophesied in the 8th century B.C., so sometime in the 700s, the late 600s, the early 700s B.C. Um, he, was, he had a lot of access to the royal court under Four different kings. Now, you can read the very first verse of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 1.1, and it will identify those four kings. Um, so he was, he was a courtier. He was um, a court preacher, a court prophet, uh, advisor to four different Judean kings uh, during the uh, 8th century B.C. Um, we think that Isaiah was martyred. In the early years of a fifth king, the wicked king Manasseh, we think Isaiah lost his life uh, then. So um, he's got some things to say to us. Now, um, what we're going to study today that you're going to find pretty familiar, Isaiah 9, you're going to find it pretty familiar, um, uh, has to be understood in the context of chapter 7 through 12. So uh, we're not going to read all of those, 7 through 12. There's six chapters there. But if you read all of that, it helps you understand those six chapters are often called the book of Emmanuel because there's where uh, in Isaiah 7, 14, where this concept of God with us uh, comes from, um, the meaning of the word Emmanuel. So uh, the immediate need in Isaiah's day for that divine presence to God being with them was a war that saw Syria in the northern kingdom of Israel in alliance against Judah. So they're uh, kind of poised 
to attack. Go with me to Isaiah 7. This will help, help you even understand better, I think, uh, Isaiah uh, 7 when you read it. And where Matthew in Matthew 123 um, uh, quotes, this is to uh, fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said um, and the virgin shall conceive. So that's Isaiah 7, 14. But look at the very first verse of Isaiah 7. Now, it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it when it was reported to the house of David. So that's the, the current reigning king. Uh, his name was Ahaz. Uh, saying, the Arameans have camped in Ephraim. His heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. That's how the nation felt right here in Isaiah 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. That's what Isaiah is speaking into, that kind of fear. It is our, our, um, our cousins to the north who don't like us have allied with a powerful army to the north of them, and they're getting ready to take us over. So the prophecy really was primarily for that. For some reason, Isaiah went to Ahaz, the king. Look at 7.12. Actually, look at 7.10. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz through Isaiah, saying, Ask a sign for yourself and the Lord your God. Make it as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But the king, Ahaz, said, I'll not ask for, uh, I'll not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Isaiah went to him and said, ask for whatever sign you want to have that God is going to be with us. And the king said, no. He declined. So, um, the Lord gave the house of David a sign anyway. A child will be born, known as Emmanuel, Before this child could reach the age of accountability, those two threats to the north would be destroyed. They'd be no more. Um, Since Ahaz had refused to ask for a sign, the sign was nevertheless provided for a distant prophecy, years to come, for a remnant of God's people not to be fulfilled until Emmanuel truly would come in ultimate victory. Isaiah... Is mentioned more than 20 times in the New Testament. He must have been pretty important. Don't you think? So let's get into it. Steve Blair, are you tuned up? You warmed up this morning? Okay, all right. Um, I don't think there's any words that certainly a guy as august as you is, can, cannot pronounce. So start at verse 2, if you will, and read down through 5. Isaiah 9, 2 through 5. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their impressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. Okay, now we're going to start unpacking some of this imagery. Let me ask for a little bit of help. Um, John, can I get you to go to 1 John, and I need you to go to 1.5. If you try to go to 1 John 1.15, you'll not find it. 
It's not there. But if you would, you would go over there. Uh, who will take ascending? Would you mind to go to um, John 7? So that's the Gospel of John. John 7. And we'll have you read verse 41 and then read verse 52. Okay? And the rest of them are in Isaiah. We can get to them pretty quickly. Okay, now. Light in the Bible, light, is always a figure of speech for God himself, okay? Uh, listen as John reads uh, from uh, the Apostle John as he writes a letter to churches. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is light. So literally... Uh, now, by the way, John, it's not that John is confused, because later on in this same letter, he's going to say God is love, okay? But he's both of those things, right? But there's an image here of God being light. So when, when uh, Isaiah says here, uh, he, he begins to invoke this idea of light. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, it's this idea that his coming was like a great light bursting on um, a kind of an un, unlightful, if I can say it, people. Kind of a uh, um, uh, people that have been drifting a bit. Now, go back to to um, um, go back to nine one. There will be no more gloom for her, uh, gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, if we were looking at a map, you would see he's talking about the... Um, the portions of land that were allotted to two of the northern tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, which are far north Israel back in Joshua's day, around the Sea of Galilee. What happened early on in the Gospels around the Sea of Galilee? The light shone. He walked right there. My dad, who was a, an amazing singer, I heard him sing a hundred times, I walked today where Jesus walked. Hubert, you probably sang that back in the day, didn't you? He's not admitting it, or we'd get him to tune up right now. So go with me just real quickly to, um, if you will, to Matthew 4.16. Matthew is always trying to help us understand um, uh, the Old Testament prophecies. So if you go to Matthew 4, uh, uh, he's going to talk about Jesus beginning his ministry, beginning in verse 12. And um, in verse 14, he says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun. So he quotes here from Isaiah 9.1. Verse 17, from that time... Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. So, the, so Matthew says, this light bursting forth that Isaiah was talking about 700 years before it happened, happened in 30 years after Jesus was born. Something like that. So the light is coming forth, and we get to, we get to see it here, in the north, in Galilee. Now, 
I believe that when, um, when Steve is reading from verse 3 about the multiplying of the nation, you see that? You shall multiply the nation. I believe that the multiplying of the nation is really talking more about a spiritual multiplication than a numeric or physical multiplication, even a geographical multiplication. Look with me at 2615. So just go to the right a few pages. 2615. <clears throat> you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have extended all the borders of the land. Many scholars believe this was really looking forward to the book of Acts and the New Testament and the expanding of the borders of the kingdom of God, not the political kingdom of Israel, not the geographical borders of Palestine necessarily, but the idea was um, that um, the multiplying of the nation is kind of a spiritual thing. So it's, it's the idea here, uh, as with the gladness of harvest, he uses this joy thought, Men will rejoice and they just divide the spoil. So the idea is a victory banquet is going to be held after you win the Super Bowl. Okay, after you win a great war. And the victory is going to be the victory of defeating an enemy, uh, expanding the borders. And I want to submit to you that what Isaiah may very well be talking about is you and me 2,000 years after Jesus came, still talking about this story on Sunday morning, December 19th, 2021. The borders have been expanded. Gentiles have been included. That, include, that means most of us, okay? So it's a spiritual victory that's being celebrated here. Now, in uh, Jesus' day, as well as in uh, Isaiah's day, no one expected victory. And no one expected the birth of a special child. Okay? Um, here's where we got to go somewhere kind of interesting. Especially no special child coming out of Galilee. All right? Now, this is a little tricky. Cindy, you ready to read? Go to, if you will, John 7. I want you to read verse 41 and then jump down to verse 52. Uh, people were trying to, uh, Jesus was doing marvelous things. Could this be the Messiah? But they couldn't add it up because of where he kind of came from. He grew up in Nazareth. Cindy, read those two verses. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others ask, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. This was in the earliest manuscripts. Yada, yada. Yeah, yeah, it's bracketed in there, yeah. Now, I put a reference in here. I won't go to it for now. I'll let you go to it if you'd like. Second Kings 14. Guess who came from Galilee? Maybe the greatest preacher of the Old Testament came from Galilee. Jonah, the whale guy. Isn't it interesting that they're saying no great preachers, no great prophets came out of Galilee? Uh, by the way, Jonah says, hello. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and you and I know this is a little tricky because he was born in Judah. Where? 
Where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. Remember? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Okay, you know that song. <laughs> he was born in Bethlehem, but he lived. His parents were both from Nazareth and Galilee. He went back to Nazareth to live and to work. Mainly, his, his center of operations was around Capernaum and those kind of places, north of the lake. I find this just really intriguing. You kind of can see what you want to see, can't you? So nobody's expecting a victory. Certainly not. Uh, uh, nobody's expecting um, a victory in Jesus' day. And certainly nobody's expecting the birth of a special child. And yet there is one. Now, um, I've got to be really careful here, but I want you to catch this because the rest of what we're going to talk about is what is coming, okay? I'm going to be real careful, especially with those of you who are members of the NRA, all right? Nothing wrong with being a member of the NRA. This coming, this victory will be an act of God, not an act of war. They were looking for an act of war. Fast forward 2,000 years, they were looking for another act of war against Roman occupation, right? And they didn't get it in Isaiah 9. They certainly didn't get it in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, right? The, the, um, the revolution that began was a spiritual revolution. Got to be really careful with our understanding of that as we press, try to press the rest of the Bible into what, uh, what God is actually up to here. So, verse 5, a really famous verse we're going to look at in just a second. I want you to go with me to 2-4 to in just a second. So, the idea here is the end of warfare is always going to be a time for great rejoicing. You've read the stories about the end of World War II. Um, you, maybe you've, you've been around uh, at the end of other wars. Um, so look at, if you will, and this is going to kind of bear up, bear up some of the point I'm trying to make. Go to chapter 2, verse 4. You've heard this. You've heard it sung. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many people. And they'll hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up against sword against nation. And never again will they learn war. Interesting, isn't it? That the, the revolution that's going to begin, that this child will usher in, won't be a revolution of military might and grandeur. It'll be an internal, spiritual, grab-you-by-the-heart change. Now, keep on, hang on to that idea, because... It's going to come out again, and I'll even try to apply it a little bit as we close out today. Okay, Let, let's go on and, and read uh, two of the most beautiful poetic verses in all of Scripture. You love it. You love to hear it sung. Um, I was with somebody over the weekend. We were talking about, have you listened to Messiah yet? Rhonda, we haven't. We need to do that. Um, and it really may not be, you know, there's a lot of things that may not be Christmas until it happens at my house. But one of them is until 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Uh, on the, uh, uh, one of the opening choruses of, of uh, Handel's Messiah. So, okay, Steve, I'm going to come back to you. Read, if you would please, uh, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I'm going to ask a couple of you to get some parallel verses for as we go through here, but we're going to hang on in Isaiah for quite a bit. Um, John, if I can get you to go to Galatians 4, I'm going to have you read verse 4 and 5. Rhonda, I'm going to have, have you, if you will, go to, there's a special meaning of this for me with you. Luke 1, verse 32 and 33, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So just hang on to those as we stay in Isaiah for quite a bit here. Now, biblical names are always significant. They always mean something. Have you ever looked up the meaning of your name? It's kind of intriguing to see if your parents named you well. All right? Um, the biblical names are especially important, especially where a king or a prince is concerned. That when they're given a name, they're given a name of, um, there, there's kind of a, a, a throne name involved in this. And so when Isaiah is talking about this, they're thinking short term. You and I now know that Isaiah was thinking long term, but he's still going to deal with what will this child be called? Now, already he's called him Emmanuel in 714, which means what? God with us, right? That's what a wonderful thought. We'll come back to that in a minute too. But here, he's going to get several names. Now, I like it the way my Bible is set up. Some Bibles are not set up this way. But I like the way my Bible is set up because when it begins to give the names, and they're all in couplets, two words, two words, two words, um, uh, it, you'll see them capitalized, okay? All right, let's read that, okay? Now, for unto us a child is born, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called. Here's the first of them. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Let's stop right there. Now, uh, I want to suggest to you that at the beginning of verse 6, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and a government will rest upon his shoulders, that a new Solomon is coming. A new Solomon is coming. Now, uh, why do I say that? Well, um, uh, they're looking for the end to a short-term uh, a short-term crisis. You ever been there? They run into a short-term crisis, and what really needs to happen is uh, a long-term fix. And it may take a while to get there. All right. So there's this idea conveyed in verse six that the government will rest on his shoulders, they're going to immediately be thinking, David, Solomon, all right? What I want to say to you as we talk about this first name, wonderful counselor, remember Solomon's judgment when the two women came to him and one of their children had died? Remember that famous kind of wisdom of Solomon thing? And he had the perfect answer. He knew the perfect answer to the question. 
Well, this one who's coming will be in that line. He will not only be a great, 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 great grandson of Solomon himself, but he will have that counseling ability of Solomon. So the idea here is he is a wonderful counselor. The idea that the king will judge well. Look at 11.2. Just turn over one page. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Uh, that begins that whole talk about what he's going to be like. So that a new Solomon is coming. Now, he will be, the Bible calls him mighty God, both of those capitalized. The mighty, uh, what I'm going to suggest here, the undefeated one. Look at 1021. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. There's that thought again. So um, this is God, um, the uh, invincible one. And it identifies that this child who's coming won't be the son of King Ahaz, which is what they were kind of thinking in the day. It'll be the son of God. He will be God coming. God with us. Catch that? You and I get it now. They didn't get it quite then. The mighty undefeated one. Third, it says, back in verse 6, it says, eternal father. Now, by the way, God wasn't called father in the Old Testament. Jesus kind of gave us the privilege of calling him that when he taught us how to pray. Uh, when he taught the disciples how to pray, and we emulate that prayer, our Father which art in heaven. He gave him that kind of term and allowed us, since you're related to him, you can call God Father. So the, the thought here is um, that we can call him Father, but the idea also is that the one who's coming, the king that is coming, will step out of eternity and into time. John, I've got to have you read Galatians 4 and read verse 4 and 5. When the, <clears throat> when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born of law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. When the fullness of time has come, God came. Born of a woman, he says. Born of the law. What you've got to understand is, he stepped out of eternity and into time for a period of time. He who lived outside of time became born into time. He transcends it. He entered time. By the way, one of the, as I've studied this this week and as I've been listening to Christmas music and thinking about what he did for me, you got to love him for. I, you and I, we talked to a young man at a store yesterday about the cross that he had around his neck. And have you trusted in the Savior who bore that cross? But you got to love him for stepping into time also, folks. The story of Christmas. Uh, you got to love him for giving up the throne room of heaven to come and be born in a stable around smelly sheep and livestock. 
in a place that really just didn't have room for him. And it would be that way for the next 33 years. You got to love him for that too. That, isn't that the beauty of the incarnation? That he stepped out of eternity and into your time and my time. The eternal father. I just want to say one brief thing about, the, about the, the fourth name, the Prince of Peace. I love it. I love it and want to see it on a Christmas card. But I had a friend this week who was talking about, and he's right, when Jesus comes back, it will be a different kind of coming. It won't be on a silent night. You know, everybody, every eye will see and every uh, tongue will confess, right? And he talked about the victory that will come back. Uh, you know, some kind of an idea of a conquering king. But what I want you to catch here is that when he comes back, he will be king. He is, but he is king now. He is not a, a king in waiting. Uh, you know, sometimes when we hear the word prince, we think of a king in waiting. I'm going to tell you, he's my king today. And he wants to be your king. He wants to govern the affairs of your life. Now, let's look at verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. His reign, his reign now. We're not waiting sometime for his reign. He's reigning now. He reigns in my heart, and I can tell it he reigns in yours. He reigns over this church. His reign will endlessly increase. They know, knew of, you and I read about, endless rising and falling of empires throughout history. This one that he established will last forever. There's no rising and falling. It is established endlessly. It will endlessly increase. Second, it will be endlessly peaceful. I love this thought. Endlessly peaceful. This king of peace. Um... um not at war or preparing for war. Wouldn't that be wonderful to step into a segment of time or maybe out of time where there's no longer, a, either we're in a war or we're preparing for one. The Prince of Peace. All right? Third, he's going to establish David's throne forever. Why David? Because that's the one they were looking for, a son of David. He would be called the son of David by many in his day. David's kingdom uh, was promised to last forever. So not only will it, his reign endlessly increase, not only will it be endlessly peaceful, but he'll establish David's throne. And when he does so, as he did 2,000 years ago, it will be established in righteousness. Don't you wish today for true justice? You know? If you don't know what I'm talking about, Think about it the next time you watch a football or basketball game and you wish for true refereeing. <laughs> I know that's kind of trivial by comparison, big time. Uh, well, kind of. But, you know, you think about, uh, you know, anybody could see that, right? 
and you wonder what's going on. True justice. Isn't that a lot of what our society's crying out for? If we would follow him, if we would but follow him, we would see true righteousness established, <laughs> true justice. And number five, God himself is going to guarantee it. it will, his reign will be guaranteed. Now, I want, to, I want to back up 41 years in history, okay, from now. 41 years back in time from now. It was about this time of year. And uh, uh, the, the uh, church I was helping lead, we were doing a, a great and beautiful musical uh, this time of year. We'd already done one at our church, and smart me decided to do one outside right downtown in the town that we were living. And the night that we chose to do it turned about like last night. This one over here was nine and a half months pregnant with our second child. Okay? Her heavy winter coat did not button. All right? And you sang this text. Read it, will you? Luke 1, 22 and 20. If you've got something to add to that, it sounds like you're getting ready to, to rebut what I was getting ready to say. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained evil. You know, I'm glad that uh, Paul tells us that all scriptures God breathes us. <laughs> Effective for, you know, teaching, reproaching, correcting, and training in righteousness. But that wasn't what I wanted you to read. And I bet that's what you're... I need you to go to 32, and I think I've sent you to 20, 23. Uh, I've transposed. So read 32 and 33, dear. 32, Luke 1, 32 and 33. Listen to what the angel says to Mary. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Even Gabriel knew this passage. You know what? Even Gabriel knew what kind of a king he would be. The zeal of the Lord will guarantee it, says. Now, I, I love those mornings when I get up early and uh, now I've got a thing in my house where I can tell it to turn the lights on. I really love that. Do you, you guys, have, have you done that yet? I've got Googles all over the house and, and a few lamps that are plugged into these little devices. And I can, so when I get up in the morning, I'll say, hey, Google, turn on all the lights. And, it, and it's great because a person that I live with occasionally rearranges the furniture. And back in the day before Google, before Google Home, I would walk through the house and stumble in the darkness. I'd trip over a chair, or where did that come from? You know, have you ever done that in the dark? The idea is it's always fearful to stumble around in the dark. God says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Here's what thought I want to leave with you, and then we'll close in a second. The Prince of Peace. Uh, think about Isaiah seven fourteen and Matthew one twenty three when Matthew kind of connects the dots for us, and and um, Isaiah has already said it. His name will be called Emmanuel. And if you look at the footnote in your Bible, there it says. Emmanuel means God with us. Uh, Matthew just kind of clears it up. God with us. The Prince of Peace came to be with us. But I began to think, I was listening to some song this week. And I was kind of in a moment of worship. And I began to think about, uh, Lord, thank you for coming. And I I left my car and I was walking into my office and I was thinking about, Lord, I just thank you for coming. And I began to think about how hard it was for him to leave his throne room in heaven and come all the way to a nasty stable in Bethlehem. Here's what he said to me. Mm -hmm. I came for you. He came for you. He he came from a place to a place that was unaccepting of him. A a place where he was worshipped and adored. To a place that just didn't accept him. Read about it in John 1, 11 and 12. He did that. For you, so that you can live eternally in that place where he came from. Catch the vision of that when you sing Silent Night this Thursday or Friday. He, he stepped into our time when he didn't have to, so that he could take you to be where he is. He came for you. Thank the Lord he came for me. That ought to give us a little bit of joy, you know? It ought to help us sing the songs a bit. Merry Christmas to you. I won't see you for a couple weeks, but thank you so much for your gift. Thank you so much for just being here. It is a joy to kind of get to hang out with you Sunday after Sunday. Be careful if you're the grandmother going to the children's house instead of the other way around. And I'll see you in a few weeks. Bless you. Thank you.